Welcome to another Maramara Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message from Declan Smith. So we're starting our journey towards Christmas this week. Who's got, who's got the decorations up? Yeah, good on you. Good on you. Who, who's um, a bar humbug and doesn't care and wants, doesn't want to put any prayer? Yeah, yeah. There you go. You're wrong, but that's all right. Hopefully I'll convince you otherwise by the time we finish. Um, as Melody said, today's actually not the start um, of Advent. If, if you're not really familiar with church calendar and, and, and the Christian calendar year, um, Advent is the start of the new Christian calendar year. And it starts on the four, the four Sundays preceding Christmas. And it's this time for us when we take pause to remember, when we remember what the gift of Jesus to humanity means for us as God's creation. And this culminates as we celebrate, celebrate the birth of Jesus. And usually it's in those four Sundays. And if you're looking at your calendar, you'd be like, well, there's five Sundays before Christmas this year when we get, when we get, when Christmas Eve is a Sunday. Um, and here's your little reminder, and for those people who like to plan more than five minutes ahead, I've already had about 10 people ask me, what's happening for Christmas and Christmas Eve? Well, here's, here's your advance notice. Christmas Eve is a Sunday, um, and usually our, our rhythm is that we will gather on Christmas Eve in the evening. That's what we do every year. That's our moment to gather and to celebrate what Jesus is doing. And that's not going to change this year. So we're going to have our four weeks of Advent starting this week, and then on Christmas Eve, on that Sunday, we're not going to gather on the Sunday morning. (gasps) It's been a long year. (laughs) Cut me some slack, okay? I don't want to prepare two messages for one day. So we will only gather on Christmas Eve at 7 p.m. here. So if you're desperate for church on Sunday morning, I encourage you, go and um, connect with one of the other faith communities in our area. It's a great opportunity to meet some people, to be the body of Christ, right? We are all united in this thing of loving Jesus. So I'd encourage you to go and do that. Um, And we'll gather Sunday, 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve here. And this is our chance, right, for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. This moment where things started to actually turn around for humanity, right? The moment where restoration between God and us became a possibility, because before Jesus, there wasn't hope for a future, was there? There was just the futility of our failing, of our sin that separated us from a perfect God. But when Jesus, sorry, when God gave us Jesus at Christmas, it set in motion this plan, didn't it, that He had from the beginning of time, to restore His people back to Him. This plan to bring us close by sacrificing His Son, who took our sin, our failing, all of those things that made us separate from God upon Himself, so that then we could not be burdened by that and we would be seen rightly by God and be restored into relationship with Him if we chose to believe what Jesus did and follow Him. And on that front, I'm really, really pumped we get to baptize someone else next Sunday who's making that choice and who's entering into that restoration. And isn't that cool, right? Like, this is what we're about. So cool. Um, And this is what 
became possible at Christmas, and this is why we celebrate. It's not a journey that we walk and we make it and go, okay, Christmas, like, let's get excited about this thing. Let's, because, because this is what our life became possible because of this time. And so we don't just go, okay, cool, like, let's get pumped and bold in our joy and that we would share that joy with others. I'd encourage you, invite some people to join us on Christmas Eve, that they would see that this isn't just this thing we do and we go, okay, cool, but this actually has given us life and joy and we are inviting them into that same thing. That there's more than just presents and burnt ham and runny mashed potatoes, right? Let's get excited for Christmas this year. I mean, reflecting on that thing and realizing that, that often we, we forget how lucky we are that we get to celebrate Christmas. That the gospel story that started at Christmas is history for us. That's actually an awesome advantage, right? Because how differently does that allow us to live knowing that God has already made the way, that He has already done it? That's why Christmas is such an important celebration for us, because we don't just live with hope and joy and love and peace, but we celebrate those things because they've already been fulfilled, right? That's why we light these candles every week, and we come and we light a candle, because we, because we celebrate those things that already have been fulfilled, because the proof is there because Jesus has already come, because it's history, and it's a privilege for us, because for hundreds, for thousands of years, the people who followed God, His set-apart nation, the Jews, the nation of Israel, they had been waiting. It was their future, not their history. If you pull your Bible out, two-thirds, three-quarters of it is account after account after account of God working among His people before Jesus. These people didn't have hope fulfilled. They didn't have fullness of joy and love and overwhelming peace because they didn't have a savior. They only had prophets, these people that spoke on behalf of God, speaking of the savior, the one who was coming, but not yet. That's why we, I think, should be compelled to get so excited about celebrating Christmas because we live not just with future hope, but with hope fulfilled, right? One of the important prophets in that, in that pre-Jesus history was a man named Isaiah. And part of Isaiah's prophecies, the things that God spoke to him and through him to the, to the people of Israel, is the focus of our series as we, as we journey through Advent towards Christmas. Many of you will know these verses. We, we often quote them at Christmas time, and they come from Isaiah 9, chapter 6. This is what it says. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. With our first, sorry, with our 21st century eyes, it's easy for us to just look at that and go, oh, that's Jesus. 
And we go, okay, cool. Jesus is these things. But this is Isaiah writing this, right? Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. So even though this, this does have relevance to Jesus, and, and it's important, it's, it's very vital for us to get our context bearing, right? Because Isaiah doesn't have our perspective of living with hope fulfilled, of living with the gospel as our history. It's only this thing that he's looking forward to in the future. So this is what's happening in this period when Isaiah says this. Isaiah lived in what we call the kingdom period of Israel. So um, God has, has chosen Abraham um, to, be the, to be the father of, of this nation of people that he's going to call his own, that he's going to um, walk closely with. And through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, they, and Jacob has a family, and we all, you know, they go to Egypt, and they, they breed like rabbits, and then they're enslaved um, by the Egyptians. And God brings them out. We've got the Exodus story, right? He brings them out of Egypt, and he conquer, helps them to conquer a bunch of people and sets them up in a land. And he says, this now, you are the nation of Israel. You're no longer just a bunch of families, but I'm setting you apart as a, as a special nation. And we're going to make these commitments to one another, this covenant. And you will follow me and me alone, and, and I will be your God. You'll be my people, and I'll walk closely with you. And, and so they were in this period for a while, and they were living like that, and then they had a moan. They're like, well, we really want some kings to lead us, like all the other people. So God was like, oh, okay, whatever. So he appointed kings over them. Um, and the problem with these kings was that they basically decided that they were going to ignore God and the special relationship that they had together. They decided, hey, well, let's, let's just worship a bunch of other gods, like all these other people around us. The, the, you know, the kings led their people to do all sorts of sort of reasonably heinous sort of things, um, and, and for the most part, reject and ignore the special covenant relationship that they had had with God. You look at the picture of, um, of the, the, king, the, the period of the kingdom of Israel, that's basically its story. A bunch of kings rejecting God, and a bunch of prophets going, you're rejecting God, wake up! And you, you look at this sort of thing go on and on and on back and forth. Also during this time, the Assyrians and later the Babylonians, they're hanging around, they're sniffing around the edges and they're going, oh, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, we could conquer these people because we're these big nations and they're little and maybe we could, we could wipe them out and have their land and, and that would be really, really, really cool. And so the, the um, Israelites, as well as dealing with the fact that they've rejected God, are dealing with this, this threat of war on all sides. And it's in this period of time when Isaiah comes one appointed by God to speak on behalf of God to the people. One, as, as we learned in our series a little while ago, filled with, with the Ruach, right? The breath of God, the Holy Spirit, to speak the words of God to His people. And those words are captured in that book in the Old Testament that we call Isaiah. Isaiah's message is really, really, really interesting. I've been reading a bit of Isaiah this week. Um, and it's got these two contrasting ideas in it. I've got this picture of everything that's going on. And, um, and Isaiah has two primary messages. The first one is this idea of judgment. They continue to rebel against God, to reject Him, to reject this special relationship and do what they've been doing. 
then Isaiah's like, well, just hold up because God's going to give you over to those things. This, this special protection that God has over you isn't going to last if you're just going to continue to reject him and ignore him and go, right, we don't care about you, we want to do our own thing. He's going to go, okay, fine, do your own thing and see what comes of it. These Babylonians and these Assyrians, Isaiah warns, they're going to come and bring destruction upon you if you continue to avoid God and reject him. But then interspersed with this sort of woe is you message, really interestingly, Isaiah's words are also filled with hope. Prophecy of the one who would come, the Messiah. That this destruction and this judgment that they're going to face because of their rebellion against God, that's not the end. That one is coming who will see the world set to rights, one that will restore the kingdom of God. He reminds the people of Israel that God will send this Messiah, this Savior. Even in the midst of imminent destruction, Isaiah was still compelled to share a message of hope. And as you read through Isaiah, you see these two ideas just sort of flip back and forth. Why was me? God's going to destroy you. Whoop! But there's hope. Oh no, you've rejected God, everything's a mess. Whoop! But there's hope. Even with all the fear, everything closing in around them, Isaiah still was looking towards the hope of this Messiah, crucially, without knowing when he will come, right? But God still had him to share with these people, this is who the Messiah is. And this is where he says these words in chapter 9 that we read. And he gives us these names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What I love about those verses when I, when I start to look at it is is Isaiah's confidence there? This version up here says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. Um, some of your translations might say, past, you might use past tense sort of words here. A, um, a son has been born, right? Or, or a child, I get the words around the right way, but you know what I mean. Like a son has been given. Uses, uses past tense Despite not knowing when this Savior would appear, Isaiah is, is writing in such a way that implies complete and utter certainty in him. He has been born, he has been given, we just haven't seen it yet. It's the faith that um, we, we strive really hard to have about having a new associate pastor, right? They have been appointed, we just haven't seen it yet. This is how Isaiah feels. This is the emphatic surety with which Isaiah believed God. Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever going to come, in the midst of destruction and despair and his entire nation deserting this God who they were supposed to follow, Isaiah still has complete certainty. The son's already been born. It's already been given to us. We're just waiting to see it. How cool is that? Right? I look at the example of Isaiah and I go, how inspiring is that to me? How challenging 
is that if, if he was so f- certain of this future that he could speak with that amount of hope in the midst of all that destruction, therefore how much more faith does that invite us to have? Having the gospel as history rather than just a future hope. So today, we get to light the candle of hope. And Kelly's coming. I told him, I was like, I'm not going to give you a look, and then he's sitting there. I'm like, just come. (laughs) You can light the candle. Good job. This is often called the prophet's candle, and it's a reminder of the certainty of the hope that the prophets like Isaiah had. Certainty that this destruction and judgment wasn't the end, but that God had a bigger plan. Cheers. As we've lit this candle, we're invited to carry that same certainty of hope because we've already seen it happen. And we carry that hope into what then we trust He will do again. This moment where Jesus returns a second time as King because He's already done it, we just haven't seen it yet. So now we've got our bearings. We know where Isaiah's at. Let's dig into some of these words a little bit more specifically. Firstly, there we read, and he shall be called. You might have something different in your translation. Does anyone else have anything different other than he shall be called? No. Most people didn't bring their Bibles with them. That's all right. Um, Often you'll have his name will be called. And I look at that and I go, well, that's quite a long name. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But again, like name's not about identity, right? It's not, you don't just put it on the tag on your, on your child's foot so you can recognize them in the hospital, right? Like that's not the purpose of a name, right, or so that you can see a crowd of children and yell a random name and, you know, oh, that's the right one, okay, cool, right, a name obviously carries so much more, name is about nature, name is about character, this statement is not, this is literally what his name is going to be, this statement is, this is who he is and what he will do, and by Isaiah sharing these, it's not, look out for someone who's got the name tag on that says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, it's, these are the character markers that you should be looking towards for the one who is coming. This is what he will be like. It is by these characteristics that you will recognize him. And then we get that list. And we could look at those at just face value. Okay, he's a counselor who's wonderful. He's a God who's mighty. He's a father who's everlasting. And he's a prince whose who's princedom, the thing he rules over, is peace. And we're just going to unpack that first title today, just wonderful counsellor, Mike and Nigel. Who's, who's stoked, stoked for Mike to come and cheer with us next week? Mr. Clancy, yeah. We're good. And then Nigel, a couple of weeks after that, really, really good. They're going to unpack another couple of these titles. But in order for us to unpack what the Messiah, who we recognize as Jesus, is wonderful counsellor means to us, we encounter a little bit of a problem. Some of your Bibles, now you're really feeling, I really should have brought my Bible so I could have seen. 
Some of your Bibles might have a comma between wonderful and counsellor. Does anyone's Bible have a comma? We've got one that does, definitely, right? Commas are interesting, right? Commas provide issues for us. We all know the problem with commas, right? We have a sentence like this. Let's eat, mum. And then we have a sentence like this. Let's eat, mum. Right? Commas are helpful and really important. So what's going on there? Why does some people Bible have a comma and some people not? Because it means different things, right? If it, we have the verse up there again, if it says wonderful counselor, okay, that's, a, that's one thing. But if it says wonderful counselor, well, I'm looking for two, two separate things. So, so what is going on here? Is there a comma? Is there no comma? Did one Bible translator get it right or wrong? The, the problem is, and I only learned this this week, is that the Hebrew written language doesn't have any punctuation at all. They don't, they don't have commas and full stops and exclamation marks. They'll be really glad they don't have exclamation marks, right? I, people moan at me all the time because I use too many exclamation marks when I write. But, um, but no punctuation at all. And so the translators are, are tasked with this way of figuring out the best way to do it. And so that means that there really isn't a complete answer over whether Isaiah is saying wonderful and counsellor or whether he's saying wonderful counsellor. In some ways, maybe there's even another idea of thinking about this, that these aren't individual titles at all, that this is a whole string of descriptors that are to be taken together as a singular grouping. He is wonderful counsellor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. These are all descriptions of one unique identity. Someone might be a wonderful counsellor, but they won't be your father, let alone an eternal one. Someone might be your father, but they might not be very peaceful, let alone being a prince, right? So, so it's not these things one by one, it's these things together that make up the nature of Jesus. So as these, over these weeks, as we explore, and you're like, oh, has he not even started yet? Don't worry, I'm more than halfway through my message. But over these weeks, as we explore these names, we've got to keep in our head, okay, these things are all being carried together. These all together make up the nature of Jesus. But we're looking at wonderful counsellor. So what does it mean that the Messiah is wonderful counsellor or wonderful counsellor? Wonderful is a bit of a funny word, isn't it? It's one of those words that have sort of really been watered down right? Someone's going to bring a cake when they come to your house and you go, oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, right? Mum's made potato soup for dinner and you're like, wonderful, (laughs) right? Wonderful. If we we only carry these ideas of what we think about wonderful into that text, um, it's not actually going to be overly helpful for us. So I want to think about that word the other way around, full of wonder. When we think about that word that way, we start to grasp why the translators would use this word. When we view something with so much wonder, with awe, that it fills us, that we are full of that wonder, like the great images of creation, right? Like who's ever 
Like you get on a, get on a plane, if, if you've been privileged enough to, to fly overseas and, you, and you're on a plane and you, and you look out and it's just endless ocean as far as the eye can see. You fly for another two hours and it's still endless ocean. And you just go, what? Mountains so tall and beautiful that their peaks are covered by the clouds. Looking at a newborn baby and their beauty, and their peacefulness, and their um, just sheer joy that you see when you look at your kid up until that moment when they, you know, sort of cry and poo their nappies, and then all the wonder goes out the window. But, but you, look, you look at these things, and we're just full of wonder and amazement, and we go, how can these things be real? I'm seeing it with my own eyes, but it's just like, whoa. That's the idea that that Isaiah is trying to get across here. It's incomprehensible. We're seeing it, but it's so far beyond our ability to understand. The same word for wonderful is, is used a little bit later or earlier in, in Judges, um, when, when Samson's father is, is talking to this angel of the Lord, and he's like, what's your name? And the angel of the Lord is, why, why do you ask my name, seeing as it's wonderful? What the angel's trying to say, he's like, why, why do you ask what my name is? Because, because you're not going to understand my name. It's beyond your understanding. It's something you can't comprehend. It's, it's angelic. So when we look at this in this context, the Messiah would be wonderful. It's not, oh, cool, wonderful, very nice. Right? It's like, what? I don't understand. I can see it with my own eyes, but it's, it's beyond my ability to understand. And so we think about these things the Bible records about Jesus, that he is completely a human, but he's also completely God. That his death would pay for the sins of the entire world. That he was born as a baby to to a virgin. That he rubs mud in people's eyes and somehow magically they can they can see. All of all of these things are amazing. All of these things that Jesus does and is is beyond our ability to understand. And the only right way then to look at Jesus is to be full of wonder and go, wow. So often with sort of like a modernist mindset, right, we're trying to lay out all the facts. Here's why Jesus is real. Here's why he's a real historical person. Here's what he did. Those things are really, really cool and really, really helpful for us to build our faith. But it's all, the whole point is that it's never always going to be all explainable to us. He is wonderful counselor. There is this thing when we approach Jesus that he is always going to be beyond our ability to understand. And that doesn't make him a fairy tale, that makes him the one who Isaiah was talking about, the one whose government, whose shoulders the government would rest on, the one who would set the world to rights. The Messiah, Jesus, is wonderful. The second descriptor, if you use a comma, which we'll just for a second imagine there is a comma, is counsellor. Now, in this word in English, we've just turned it into a job title, right? We've got a couple of counsellors here. Who's counsellor? Put your hands up. We've got one. Becky, you used to be a counsellor. Put your hand up. We've got a couple of counsellors. Go and talk to them. 
if you, if you need to. But counsellors are these paid, trained professionals whose job it is, right, to listen, to dig down into who you are, to take time to care and to listen and to help you walk through stuff that's going on maybe in your emotional life or, or all these sorts of things that are happening. Counsellors are amazing, right? I think I'm in full of wonder at all counsellors all the time because I don't think I could ever do that, right? Like, I, don't, I don't think I like people that much. I don't think I have enough patience to be a counsellor. Um, but, but again, like, let's not just carry out our 21st century of understanding into this word, right? The people who translated your version of the Bible are using this as someone who gives counsel. And a lot of people in your life will give you counsel, right? Your parents give you counsel on how to live, and most of the time you ignore it, right? Your pastor sometimes gives you counsel, and most of the time you ignore it, right? Your teachers do, right? So many, so many professions, they, they're giving us counsel, giving us advice. There's so many professionals whose job it is to counsel people, right? Old mate Ashley Bloomfield, right? We all remember him, right? His job was to provide counsel to give good advice and direction to the government on how to make decisions with health crises. There are so many times in our lives when we need people walking in close relationship with us so that we can trust them enough so that we can seek counsel from them. So Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be one who gives counsel, that they would be one we could seek counsel and advice from. But counsel only happens when we trust, right? Counsel only happens in, in a depth of relationship. If I don't like my parents, I'm going to ignore their counsel. If I like my parents, well, maybe I'll pay attention, right? Counsel is not that I've been to a counselor. I probably should. I've got a whole raft of issues, but anyway. <laughs> um, my understanding is when you go and meet with a counselor, like there's a lot of time of just talking and talking about who you are and, and, and you build trust with that person to the point where they can go, well, Here's some of the ideas that I'm, the issues that I'm seeing, and this is how we may address it. Trust needs to be built, right? So when the disciples look at Jesus and they see him being wise and insightful, teaching that seems simple and profound, and they're walking with him and they're eating with him and they're building relationship and they're getting close to him, the light bulbs start to go off. This is one who could give me good advice, one who would steer me in the right direction. I should pay attention to him. And then the words of Isaiah start tickling in their mind, right? Wonderful. Counselor. This guy could be the Messiah. He could be the one to save us. As we walk closer with Jesus, we see that not only does his personhood fill us with wonder and his teaching build our trust to seek his counsel, we also start to experience that he is a wonderful counselor, the compound word without the comma, right? And this, when we remove the comma here, it, it expands our vision of who Jesus could be. Jesus' counsel to us isn't only trustworthy, his counsel fills us with wonder. How he would be able to give that sort of advice to us is incomprehensible, but amazing. 
in a world that calls for retribution, for proportionate response. Probably get into trouble here, but you know, in my mind, which are all just excuses to further violence, Jesus says, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you, pray for him, pray for them. That's what makes him a wonderful counsellor. In a world that drives us to chase our own success and build up and get more money and somehow that will make us happy, Jesus calls us to be meek, to be mild, to take care of the least of these, to put ourselves last in the position of a servant. That's what makes his counsel wonderful. In a world that chastises each other for or our failures, where it cuts you down for your mistakes, what does Jesus do? He gives us forgiveness and restoration and a new way to live. No matter how many times we've rejected him, there's always another chance. That's what makes him wonderful counsellor. In a world where leaders and powerful people shield themselves away from the world, ruling in their ivory towers, surrounded by bodyguards, you know, they don't want to touch the the common folk, lest they get some kind of poor person's disease, I don't really know why, but you know, you know, these, these sorts of, you know, you think of the Jeff Bezos sort of people, these people that are untouchable, right? But the God of the universe, the creator of everything, the one who really would be untouchable, he would rather send his son to relate personally and closely with each one of us, giving us care and love and advice rather than simply royal decree. That's what makes him a wonderful counsellor. And we look at him, and we come, and we worship him, and his love for us fills us with wonder. God, we want to thank you. We can't begin to understand the fullness of who you are or what you're about or even why you do the things you do, why you would choose to not reject us when we've rejected you. But you didn't. You sent your son to make a way. Even though you knew we'd still carry on rejecting you and still spend hundreds and thousands of years trying to figure it out. But you did it anyway. And we don't understand it. And all we can do is go, wow. Thank you for all the ways you encourage us to live. A different way of living than the world would tell us to that's all about ourselves and getting our way and being the winner. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, but we see the outworking. We see that our lives look different when we live that way and we just go, wow. So God, we come and we worship you. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords and we bless your name. And as we walk 
over these next few weeks towards Christmas? Will the wonder of who you are fill us to such an extent that we would be bold enough to share that wonder and that joy with others? So we thank you, Father. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to connect with us more, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or you can send us an email through our church website, maramarabaptist.org. See you soon.